start a new series tonight. That series is called Really. I want you to look at the person sitting next to you and do your best like, really? Look at them, do your best really face. Good. That's the, that's the kind of, that's what this series is based on. All right, back at me, back at me. We got to go fast, back at me. If your side or back or whatever is to me, tell them to turn around, look at me. All right. So that's what that series is based on. Hey, up here, come on. 17, 17 minutes. That's what that series is based on. That, that feeling, that, that attitude that, that you get sometimes as a believer, we're like, you really believe that? If I write gullible on the ceiling, I mean, like, you know, I mean, people just, every once in a while, you'll get a hold of somebody who thinks that, that your belief is just stupid. Like, it's completely unfounded. Like, you have no business being that ignorant in modern-day America. Like, you're just dumb if you believe some of the things that we say we believe. So that's where we're going to do two weeks on this series right now. Then we're going to get into, like, Christmas and things like that. We have to quit. We're going to pick it back up in January. We're going to keep going with this thing because I'm really excited about it because I mean it's a great idea because it's mine. Anyway, that's what we're doing. Really? Really? So tonight, the really thing that we're focusing on is God's Word. Do you really think, listen... Do you really think that that book that's on those windowsills, the app you have on your phone, contains the very word of some omnipotent, all-knowing, all-present being that you call God? Do you really think that that came from God? Because, I mean, you really don't want to say that's just, a, that's just a book that some people wrote down. They wrote some words down in a book and like leather-bounded or whatever. And yeah, it's old and yeah, it's got some, it's accurate or whatever for like some historical stuff. But, but really, the very word of God, like Second Timothy breathed out by God, you got to be kidding me. Seriously, you believe that? What do you say? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's convincing. I mean, that just stirred my soul a little. Yeah, I believe it. That, was that, I mean, is that, is that an art? Is that a, do you have anything to say to back that up? Do you have any reasoning? Do you have any, anything besides I've just always believed it? Anything besides, well, my mom took me to VBS when I was seven and I accepted Christ and they told me the Bible's true and I just never thought about it. Because that's not going to convince anybody. And so at some point in your life as a Christian, you're going to walk into a, a, maybe a, a high school classroom or a college classroom or a grad level classroom and somebody's going to be like, that is not the word of God. That's a really old book full of lies. And you're going to have to say something. Even if it's not out loud, if you're not going like, to walk into your freshman English class with 500 people and explain to them why it's the very word of God. Maybe not that, but inside your soul, you've got to have something there. Otherwise, you're going to believe them. Some of you right now, as I'm asking that question, you have no clue how in the world you would say, yeah, this is why I think it's the word of God. This is why I think it's more than just a book. The stapled packet in your hand came from our Z group that we did this past Sunday night. Jessica put that together. Um, about, 50, about 50 students right now are meeting in that Z group right in this room. Sunday afternoons, 445. You need to be here. Every one of you should be here. Every last one of you should be here. 445, we're doing, we do a Z group right here. Jessica's leading that. That packet came out of that. That packet is information like based on, um, not based on, it's, it's kind of the same sort of stuff we talked about last February when we talked about whether the Bible was historically accurate. More of you came up to me after that message and asked me about that than any other message I've ever done. People asked me to give you books and stuff like to help you get that kind of information. Yes, the Bible is radically, like incomparably historically accurate. Like civilizations that archeologists don't think exist if they go dig where the Bible tells them it is, the civilization's there. It happens over and over again. Read that packet. That's your own time stuff. That's just for you because I thought it was valuable. So there, you've got, you've got some evidence. You've got some hard, like, hardcore, undeniable, legit 
smart people don't argue with kind of information about, yeah, the Bible is accurate. It is not questionable. It's the most historically verifiable book in the history of the universe. You just don't question the, the authenticity of the Bible. But to say that the Bible is historically accurate, that it records real events that actually transpired, to say that, that's, that it's real events, real things happen, that's one thing. To say it's the word of God is a different thing entirely. To say that it talks about and depicts civilizations that existed 1,500, 2,000 years ago, yeah, it does that. And those civilizations are there. You can dig them up. That's, that's the thing. But to say that God inspired that is a completely different concept. So that packet is one side of the coin. Yeah, you can't argue with the Bible. Yeah, it's backed up by all sorts of other historical stuff. Yeah, if, if, you, if you try to throw out the Bible's historicity, you have to throw out everything you know about history because it's more verifiable than anything, anything else. But is it the word of God? That's harder. That's harder. Wouldn't it be nice, students, if to prove that the Bible is the word of God, if, you, if, if the Bible like did something uh, like spiritual or did something supernatural that couldn't be explained any other way. Like there was something that you could look at in the Bible and look at in the real world that somehow proved that it was just more than some other book. Wouldn't that be nice? That there was just evidence there that you just can't argue with that it's just, this, this is the way it is. I think there is. I think we do have that in the Bible. It's an area of the scripture that we neglect, that we really don't spend a lot of time with. The passages that we're looking at tonight are not passages that you like write on your notebook at school. They're not like ones you Instagram or whatever. These are not those kind of passages. These are ones that get kind of confusing and we're not really sure what to do with. So we just don't do anything with them. It's prophecy. It's prophecy where God had these prophets that were his mouthpiece, that they spoke for God to the people of God. And sometimes they spoke for God to the people of God about the future. And things were written down on paper before they transpired. Prophets wrote information down about how things were going to happen in the future, and then it happened just as they said. That's evidence to me. I don't, I mean, when I'm reading like Catching Fire or whatever, it's not like predicting the future. I mean, that'd be really bad actually if it did. I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. Like normal books don't like predict the future. And like, I mean, I, I get excited when I, when I just predict something somebody's going to say or something. Like called it, woo, called it, called it. You're going to do that. I knew it. I called it. Okay, fantastic. This stuff is creepy, weird, crazy, accurate kind of stuff. Can't argue with this kind of stuff. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three big kind of passages. I mean, we don't have time to cover all of them. We just don't. I just picked out three important ones, three of my favorites, all right? We're covering three big chunks of scripture of this future prophecy type stuff. I'm gonna give you dates of when it was written and then I'm gonna give you the dates when it actually happened. And then if somebody tells you that this wasn't inspired by God, then you have something to say. So look at your single piece of paper, this guy, single piece of paper. We got 15 minutes. So here's what we're trying to do. I just want to make sure you're clear in case you're kind of like ADD and out on me or something here. If these prophecies are true, if this was actually written down before it happened, one, I think that proves the reality and the sovereignty of God. 
that there's this God of the universe who somehow is, is in control and knows what's going to happen. If God inspired somebody to write down something that hadn't happened yet and got it right, that means that he's there. That means that he is sovereign. That means he knows what's going on. It also means that this is more than just pages and words. It's spoken out by that sovereign God. That this thing is reliable, that it contains a kind of truth that isn't contained in any other kind of book there is. If these prophecies are real, that matters. That changes everything. So the first big one we're looking at is in, is in Jeremiah. The references come down there on the bottom. It's kind of hard to find. But uh, on the, you know, see the seven years of captivity thing, it says Jeremiah 25, 11, 12. Let me just read that for you, so just because we can. This whole country, well, let me give backstory, backstory, in case you don't know who Jeremiah is. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was a mouthpiece of God. He spoke to the people of God about how terrible their sin was, and they tried to call them back to God, to be the people of God again, called them back for 20 plus years. And nothing happened. They just refused. So at the end of that 20, I think it's 23 years, I'm not mistaken, 23 years, he, he said, all right, great, this verse. This whole country is going to become a desolate wasteland, and, the, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That's a measurable number, is it not? That's something you can test, that you can verify. If, if he's going to be right, then it's got to be 70 years. It doesn't say 46, it says 70 these nations will serve the king of Babylon. That's a, that's a nation. That's a people group. It's not like, it's going to serve somebody for like a long time. That's, that's sissy prophecy. Like this is Babylon 70 years. Okay. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord. And will make it desolate forever. Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12. That was written in 609 BC. That's not on your sheet of paper. 609 BC. That's historically verifiable. You just can't question that. That's where it dates to, 609 B.C. You know what happened in 605 B.C.? That. The Babylonians conquered people, people of God, conquered Israel, and they went into exile. Ezra, no, Daniel, sorry, not Daniel. Daniel was one of the people that was exiled as a part of that exile in 605 B.C. And what he said in Daniel 9.2, in the first year of his reign... That's, he's talking about the king of Babylon. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word, of, the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Daniel's saying, all right, well, I just looked in God's word, and it says it's going to last about 70 years, so let's wait it out. 70 years. So 605, you know when the, when the uh, exile ended? 70 years. 535 B.C. That whole part about the, uh, in verse 12, when the 70 years are filled, I'll punish the king of Babylon. Babylon was conquered. It was an unbeatable nation. Greatest nation the world had ever seen at that point. Persians conquered them. That year, 70 years later, Persians conquered the Babylonians. 70 years, just like God told Jeremiah to say, 70 years later, the people of God has had this, this new king, conquered the Babylonians, and said, hey, you can go home now. You, just, you can go home. That feels like a sovereign God to me. That feels like a God who knows what he's doing. That feels like a, that scripture. I mean, Daniel calls it scripture. I looked into scripture and I saw it was going to last 70 years. So I just got comfy for 70 years. And it happened. This isn't, just, this isn't, like, this isn't like facts only found in the Bible. You can just go look in history. It's like what happened. Those are the years. The years aren't recorded in, in the Bible of when those things happened. History records when those things happen. It was a 70-year exile. 
And then Babylonia was conquered by the Persians. And a guy named Cyrus let him go home. Does that change things for you? Does that make the Bible more consequential to you? Because it absolutely should. should. Because the God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe, who knows and is in control, and the God of the universe who made you is capable of doing things like that in the written text of the Bible that you hold in your hands. You really believe that thing? Yeah. Do you know that in, do you know that in 605? You know what I mean? What have you just rattled that off? If somebody's trying to make you feel silly or make you feel stupid for believing that this is more than just a historical book, that it's the word of God, you start rattling off stuff about, you know, years and dates and Persia and stuff. I mean, do you think that, who's going to feel stupid at the end of that conversation? We'll move on. Gets crazier. The book of Daniel is nuts. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7 through 11, you should just read that stuff. Read it with a, like a study Bible or something to help you figure out what's going on. But Daniel has these visions, dreams really. You know, in the first, this is Daniel aligns to Daniel. This is the guy who's interpreting these dreams, right? And so in 7 through 11, he has his own dreams and, he's, and God is helping Daniel interpret his own dreams and he's sending Gabriel to do it. In Daniel chapter 8, God's just like, hey, Gabriel, help, help him figure out what, these, what all this means, all right? He's like, I, I got to go do God's stuff. So Gabriel, just help him out for a minute. This is what it says in uh, Daniel uh, 8, 20 and 22. 23, 22. Okay, so he's had a whole chapter and a half of visions. And then Gabriel, God tells Gabriel, tell him what it means. In verse 20, it says, As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Did that say like weird random nation names? Like, like fake, like those are real. Those are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat, that's the king of Greece, because he's a goat apparently in the dream. And that great horn between his eyes, he's the first king. And for the horn that was broken in place of which the four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise in his nation. Basically, it just starts explaining that, that there's this guy in Greece, that's Alexander the Great. He was the king of Greece that conquered the world. That's Alexander the Great. You read about him in school? Yeah, good. That's Alexander the Great. His four generals, that's those four horns. Those four generals, you, you probably don't, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You should pay attention in history. There's four generals that took over after Alexander the Great died when he's 33 years old four guys. And this book, Daniel 7 through 11, talks about that. That the Bedians and Persians, they're going to take over the Babylonians. And then Alexander the Great, he didn't call him by name, but he said the king of Greece is going to conquer them. And there's going to be four little horns that grow up out of him. And then of those four horns, two of those are going to break off. And then one of those is going to have this little crazy horn. That's like the next guy. And he's going to take over. Daniel chapter 7 and 11 in detail describes um, 450 years of governmental like movements, like of nations arising that don't exist yet. This is like somebody like 400 years ago saying, you know, predicting who's going to win the playoff, like the college football playoff thing. Like that's how detailed this is. Like none of these universities existed yet. And he's like, hey, in 400 years, there's going to be a game called football. And they're going to really hate the BCS. And so they're going to institute, I mean, like, that's kind of, that's how detailed this stuff gets. There's going to be a king. And then he's going to, when he passes on, there's going to be four little kings under him. And then two of those are going to be terrible. And it's exactly what happened. It's 450 years of history explained before it happened. The book of Daniel is so detailed in its predictions of the future. And it's so accurate that for the longest time, no one believed it. No one believed this was actually written before all this stuff happened. That's how detailed it is. Even believers had a hard time believing. They had, to, they had, they had like commentaries, and like this is you know, a couple of years ago, where they had commentaries trying to explain away 
the fact that Daniel says that he's writing at 600 BC. And they're like, nah, he couldn't have written all this. He couldn't have known all this. So it was probably more like 130 BC after everything he said was gonna happen, finished happening. And then they had found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1950s. Remember me telling you about that? Little boy running around the Dead Sea, throwing rocks and hit a, hit a thing and found a lot of stuff. In there, was a, it was a people group. It was a Qumran people group. They became a separate people group in like 170 BC. I think this stuff was put in the caves about 150 BC. It was all stuff that they considered to be scripture. If this was written in 150 BC, then it was like fresh off the rack. Wow, you really think that, I mean, these Qumran people were people who, I mean, that was the best preserved scripture, best preserved copies of God's word that we've, I mean, found forever. I mean, like, this is incredible precision and intentionality in what they did. You really think that people like that would have taken in something that somebody would have written just then, like that year, like that week, this guy writes Daniel 7 through 11 and post dates it, says, I wrote this 600 years ago. And then they're like, oh, great. That's gotta be God's word and throw that in the cave with the rest of it. I don't believe that. And no one else does either anymore. Once those Dead Sea Scrolls were found, nobody questioned the date of Daniel anymore. Daniel wrote out 450 years of history by the authority of God's word, wrote it down with a pen before it ever happened. Called it. Is that a coincidence? Do you just get that kind of thing right like that? He called nations rising up, taking over other nations, not even like like a couple of hundred years down the road. He called Rome. They weren't even a thing, called it. That's the kind of God we've got. That's the kind of Bible you've got. We'll keep moving. How much time I got? None, good. Haven't got to Jesus yet. All right. I'm gonna read this real fast. I think the effect will work. These are prophecies with dates of when they were written about Jesus. First one, Jesus is gonna be born in Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth. For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. That's Micah 5.2. Micah wrote in 742 B.C. 742 B.C. That's when he wrote. That's like when the book's dated. Bethlehem is a little junk town that no one cares about. It's not like saying, hey, you're going to come from, some awesome guy's going to come from New York. No, it's like, hey, some, like the God of the universe is going to come from Arab. Like, nailed it. 742. You got over there, Matthew 2, 1, that he actually came from Bethlehem, but you all know that. Next, we'll be born from a virgin. That's Isaiah 714. Isaiah wrote in 740 BC. There you go, Matthew 123. That's when it happened. That's 740 something years in the, in, in the, in the past. Again, Isaiah that he'll heal the blind and the deaf. Saw that happen. That is, he'll be pierced for our transgressions. That's 520 BC. That's Zechariah 12:10. Flip over. That Jesus will arrive on a donkey. We're getting nitpicky here, people. Like we're getting down to like the way he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. All right. Well, that was 500 and something years in the future. And in, in, you know, hey, 500 years from now, God of the universe is going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Just called it. And he did. All right. Good. 
Good. Well, you're better at predicting things than I am, God. All right. Jesus will stay silent under trial. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7. That's also 740 BC. Darkness after Jesus' death. You know, that whole deal about when Jesus, when Jesus uh, the moment he, he gave up his spirit and he died on that cross, that it just went pitch black outside. There's like earthquakes. It just went nuts everywhere. Like creation, like mourn for the death of their king. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's 760 years before it happened. That's Amos 8, 9. All that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Then last, <laughs> Judas. Then I say to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. He's in that, in that, you can read the rest of that passage. He's explaining, he's giving a picture of the way that Jesus was going to be portrayed called out the number of coins. Matthew 26, 15. When Judas went to him and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. You serve a great God. A great God who has given you everything that you need for life and godliness in his word that he breathed out for us. Spoken by the prophets of God and the people of God, but inspired by God himself. This is not some ordinary book. This is not just something that we like to, you know, carry around with us because it looks cute. This is the very words of the God of the universe who made all that you know, hope for, imagine, who sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin, man. This thing's not a joke. If anybody ever gets an attitude with you about how silly it is for you to believe in that very word of God, then I hope that you have a concept now, at least something you can hang on to and be like, um... I know like coincidences happen and stuff, but tell me about, what do you think about this? I don't want you to like bludgeon somebody over the head with this. I don't want you to like go to school tomorrow and like argue with your atheist friend about it. That's not how we do things as Christians. We use truth and for the purpose of hope. We try to build people up. We're not trying to tear people apart. But I want you to have something to stand on. I want you to have a strong foundation. That book in your hand is not a book. It's the very word of God. That's all I've got for us. Small group leaders, I'm sorry you only got 11 minutes. But do your best. Ready to go.